Open up the Bible that you brought with you this morning, and if you don't have a Bible, the Bible that's there in the pew is not only there for you to use this morning, but yours to keep, or to give to someone you know in your life who doesn't have one. And if you have a phone, you can use the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. You can go under more, hit the equal sign, tap events, and you'll see Grace Lutheran Church, and you'll pop right up to our scripture today. You're turning to Daniel chapter 12, and in the pew Bible, that's page 624. And as you're getting to Daniel chapter 12, I think... We can all agree, there might be some, some people who would be disagree, but when you're reading a good book, you don't know, want, want to know, you don't want to know when you're reading a good book how it all ends before you come to the last chapter, right? I mean, that, so you may be tempted, but you don't want to know. Being kept in suspense, not giving away the punchline, is what makes for a good story. In fact, we understand, it's kind of an unspoken rule, that courtesy demands letting other people know when you are about to reveal a crucial detail related to the end of a book, a movie, or a TV show. In fact, we've invented a term that describes when something important about a story has been given away prematurely. You know that word, right? A spoiler. Well, spoiler alert! As we come to the last chapter of Daniel, God is about to give away the ending. Not just the ending of Daniel. That would be obviously make sense. It's the end of the book. No, the Lord is about to give away the ending of the whole thing, of life as we know it, of life as we're living it. Now, before we dive into this final chapter of Daniel, before we see where we're going, let's remember where we've been. If you haven't been with us, this is the last of four visions Daniel's received going all the way back to chapter 7. And the Lord began to unfold this fourth and final picture back in chapter 10, revealing the bulk of it in chapter 11, which we looked at both of those chapters last week. In those two chapters, if you weren't with us, Daniel records the bird's eye and detailed view he is given into the succession of later rising world empires that as they war against each other over the next four centuries will subjugate and oppress God's people. And overlapping this image, you might remember, Daniel also catches a passing but startling glance at another picture, the intersection of heaven and earth. Daniel glimpses the cosmic battle that is taking place behind the scenes of this future history, the conflict between God's kingdom and the principalities and powers of darkness. This vision in chapters 10 and 11 of what turns out to be the next 400 years culminates in the rise of the profane aggression, and the decisive defeat of a terrible dictator, later revealed in history to be a king of the northern Seleucid dynasty, Antiochus Epiphanes. And he becomes, in many ways, uh, when we get into other parts of scripture, a prototype for all future antichrists, for those who are vehemently, violently opposed to God and God's people. That's where we've been, and it's a lot. And as we open up to chapter 12, and I hope you're there by now, you see the first three words of chapter 12 are at that time. And those words, at that time, which begin chapter 12, mark a transition from the detailed future history that I just referred to in chapter 11 that's outlined there, marks this transition from that to a less specific and much broader canvas of the ongoing future. And so it's with that in mind, this broader canvas of a less specific but ongoing future that Daniel is about to see, 
Daniel is going to put the finishing touches on this prophetic masterpiece the Lord has revealed to him. And as he does so, as we read, let us have ears to hear as well as eyes to see as the Lord reveals once again the conclusion of not just any story, but the story. Daniel's, yours, and mine, the story of our humanity. So if you have it open, read with me Daniel chapter 12. It reads, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not has happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on the bank of this river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be done? How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him Swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times and a half a time. When the power of the holy people has, finally, has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel. Because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From, that, the, time, from the time that, that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Three insights this morning. Three insights to be gleaned from this text. The conclusion of Daniel. One, a reality check. Two, some specific direction. And three, a promise worth waiting for. Three things, three insights I'd like us to glean this morning. A reality check, some specific direction, and a promise worth waiting for. First, we are given, along with Daniel, a reality check. Have you ever had that moment when someone tells you, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news? Which one do you want to hear first? Right? Well, the Lord gives Daniel the bad news first. If you look at it down in verse 1, there will be distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. The bad news, right from the start, is things are going to get dark. Darker than they've ever been. Violence, war, injustice, oppression, persecution, all these things that Daniel has seen in these four visions will increase. It's going to seem, it's going to feel bleak. We're going to experience, if you really look at that verse, that word that Daniel has given, we are going to experience a level of evil that has not happened since the start of humanity. 
since the beginning of the nations. That's the bad news. It's going to be so bad, we're going to think it's the end of the world. And it's going to be the end. But that's also the good news. That's also the good news. For it won't be the end, if you read carefully, it won't be the end in the sense that the story is over. It'll be the end in the same way that the night sky gives way to the rising sun. It's always darkest before the dawn. Evil will persist, seemingly unchecked, and God's people, this world, will suffer for what feels like a long time. But eventually, at the last knell of creation's clock of time as we know it, check out the end of verse 1, there will be deliverance. There will be deliverance. Some of us really need to hear that this morning. Because we look at the, round, the world around us, where we are. Some of us maybe even reflect more deeply than that. We look back upon our history, where we've been. And then we look towards the future, where we're going. And we ask ourselves, if the world is getting better, or is it getting worse as it grows older? You heard in that the way we tend to land on that question, right? That reflection. We tend to land, the answer tends to land on, it tends to divide us into two opposing sides, right? And I won't ask for a show of hands. Some of us before that question are the optimists, right? Who perceive everything is looking up. Things can only get better. And then probably the other half in the room are our pessimists, right? Our pessimists who perceive everything is looking down, Things will only get worse. That's the way we tend to see the world. You're either an optimist or a pessimist. But biblically, both views are wrong. The world does not only get better or only get worse. What we're seeing here is both are experienced. So the Bible, the scriptures, the vision that Daniel is given, rather than on the one hand offering us some optimistic, rose-colored view of the world where good advances and evil is gradually driven from the field, rather than on the other hand giving us a, presenting a pessimistic, hopeless view of the world where evil just increases and good just incrementally disappears, rather than these two extremes, the reality check that we are given through all of these visions, not just the last one, but all four, the reality check we are given, Daniel is given, is this. As life progresses, as history moves forward, both good and evil exist. Both good and evil alike come to maturity, concurrently showing all they can do, bearing their ripest fruit, and displaying their opposing strength. It's not one or the other, it's both and. However, while there can be no denying the ongoing reality of evil, what Daniel also sees is that when the curtain falls, the last one standing, the only one that will go the distance, will be the good. In other words, all evil, everything opposed to, apart from, antagonistic to God, all evil has a limited shelf life. The forces, the power of evil will always expire. Whereas the goodness of God, the goodness that is God, will bear an eternal harvest. 
Don't get me wrong, the empire will always strike back. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wow. It's going to be one of those days. All right. The empire will always strike back, but it is the kingdom of God that endures forever. No matter how much the forces of evil attack, no matter how much they resist, the goodness of God will always deliver. That is what Daniel is told. That is what he sees. And let's be clear, this deliverance, because again, we hear that word deliverance, we kind of take this in. This deliverance will not be some sort of last-second victory in which the Lord swoops down and rescues us as if there was some kind of open contest between good and evil, as if it were a toss-up. No, beloved, this isn't even a coin toss. The Lord calls the game for Daniel now. It's over. The reality is, long before God reveals it to the Apostle John at the end of our Bible, God wins. Verse 10, cast the vision of the future. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined. God will settle all accounts. Wrongs will be righted. Justice will be done. This isn't fantasy. This isn't wishful thinking. This is a reality check. And this reality check of Daniel comes by way of resurrection. Did you hear that? Did you see that when we were reading the scripture right now? Did you catch that when we were reading chapter 12? Did, did anybody like all of a sudden perk up? Because the book of Daniel is unique among the rest of the books in the Old Testament in that it ends with resurrection. This is the kind of stuff you would expect to see on the other side of the Bible, right? But Daniel ends with this powerful, profound, strong vision of resurrection. Notice what Daniel has declared to him in verse 2. Notice what Daniel has declared to him that is in contrast to the wisdom of a world that perceives, that declares death is the end of everything. In contrast to that wisdom of the world, Daniel is told, a picture is framed for him of death as a sleep from which everyone, all of us, will awaken. There's no point in waking up, my friends, if there's nowhere else to go. Resurrection means there is a horizon. There is a horizon in which the gap between humanity and the divine is overcome. Resurrection means there's another world, another age to come. Resurrection means there is life everlasting as well as joy everlasting. Now I'm saying this and I'm working with, I'm in the midst of a group, group of people who you are here because that's what you believe. I'm getting a lot of nods. But we take this message that Daniel gets, this picture that Daniel gets, and we take it out to our world, and we're like, you know what? This reality check, okay, of Daniel, how do we know it's real? How can we be sure that Daniel isn't just having some delusion of grandeur? That he isn't just dreaming? And my friends, the answer to that very valid, very common question is because you and I and the rest of humanity, we stand on the other side of the cross. Because we view the picture that Daniel sees, the reality of our resurrection through the door of a once sealed, once occupied, but now open and empty tomb. We know this isn't fantasy. We know this isn't wishful thinking because we testify to the historical and bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ redeemed us from the power of sin at the cross through dying in our place, Jesus did not just redeem our spirits. 
No, Jesus redeemed the whole of our lives. You heard what we just confessed, the ancient words of the Apostles' Creed. We sang in that beautiful song. Jesus redeemed the whole of our lives, including our bodies, from death. It is finished, Jesus declares from the cross. It is finished, and the proof of this redemption, his victory over sin, evil, and death is given through his resurrection. Jesus backs up the words he says on the cross by not being in the tomb when we go to look for him there. God wins. And we have the accomplishment of the cross. We look to the cross. We have the truth of the resurrection to look to while the application of Christ's work of redemption infiltrates and overtakes this world and our lives. So my friends, as we wait, as we watch, even as the present seems to look a heck of a lot like the past, as chaos, as violence, as rivaling nations, as war and persecution and oppression of Antichrist, both big and small, are all we can see, the reality is, the reality check of Daniel is evil will not win. And death will not get the last word. For the reality of Christ's resurrection is the assurance of our resurrection, our deliverance from sin, evil, and death. That's the ending that God gives away way back here in Daniel. Daniel gets the ending, and it's even more fully given to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God gives away the ending. And you might ask yourself, why? Why does God do this? Our Father wants us to know the end, my friends. He wants us to know the end in order to dramatically reframe how we engage our lives in the present. He wants us to know the end to dramatically reframe how we engage our lives in the present. The reality check of the ending is intended to provide us some direction for the future. Point number two, Daniel is given direction for the future. In light of what the Lord has revealed to him, Daniel is given his marching orders from God. He repeats it twice. If you have those Bibles open, verse 9 and verse 13, twice, God tells Daniel, go your way. Go your way. Notice that after getting this reality check, the, the, the finale, right? Daniel, do you catch this? Look at verses 6 and 8. Daniel still has questions. He doesn't completely understand how it's all supposed to work. Daniel has questions. He doesn't fully grasp the timetable in terms of when this is all going to go down. Daniel wants to pursue a different direction, right? He wants to pursue the direction of getting answers to his questions, but the Lord gives him another heading. Go your way, Daniel. The words are closed up and sealed. You've seen enough, enough to move forward without fear. And there was a way for Daniel that God had authored. That's what this whole book has been about, right? Daniel was called to be a politician in two of the great kingdoms of his day. His focus, his gifts, his task was to be faithful to that responsibility. The direction given to Daniel was to honor his calling by living in the present for the glory of the kingdom and to leave everything else, the future, to God. I don't think that's just a word for Daniel. 
I think that's a word for us. I, I think as we come to the end of this book, and many of you have given me some great feedback, many of you have really felt like, man, I'm glad we've been in this book in the midst of where we are right now, where you are in your own lives. And I think as we come to the end of this book, we need to hear this word that's not just for Daniel, but for us, because we need some direction for the future as well. In the afterglow of these several incredible visions of God's plans and purposes, looking ahead, like I talked about earlier, to what we perceive in our future, we, like Daniel, still can have questions for God. Um, excuse me? Can I ask a few questions? We may not fully understand what the Lord is doing. I don't get it. We may not understand how the Lord is working things out. I'm just not seeing it. And having questions, I want to make this clear, having questions, asking them even, is fine. I do not want you to hear that we should not have questions, we should not ask them. Having questions, asking questions, we see this again and again in the scriptures. God doesn't shy away from that, God doesn't, God welcomes it. But my friends, avoiding living the answer the Lord gives us is not. Letting the questions get in the way of living the answer we have been given is not okay. In the midst of our questions, we must not ignore the direction we have been given. And we are called, along with Daniel, to go our way. Having the benefit of the cross and the resurrection in hindsight, like we just talked about, we have been commissioned, right? Jesus was very clear. We call it the Great Commission. We have been commissioned to be faithful to what the Lord has called us to do, to follow Jesus with our whole lives and to make disciples, sharing and teaching with them everything we have learned and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are to leave everything else to God. We have been given enough. We have been given enough. You're here because you know we know God is for us and God is with us. We have been given enough. We know that God wins. We have been given enough. We know that resurrection eclipses death, that death is not the end. We know this victory is ours in Christ. We have been given enough, and yet many of us want to know more. Many of us want to know more. Some of us, even though we have been given enough, we want to resolve what is unknowable. We've talked about this throughout this apocalyptic part of Daniel, right? We want to calculate. We want to anticipate the hour and the day before it comes. Others of us, we want to know something else. We want to secure our future. Yeah, okay, God says he wins. Yeah, we, all, we want to secure our future. We want to know that we've got a handle on this. And so we want to have a little insurance, right? We want to hedge our bets. We want to be insured that we're going to be okay by putting a little aside, by storing up our treasures in barns or houses built on sand. Others of us, we want to know and we want to be a part of saving the world. We want to save the world, man, and that is awesome. We want to bring the kingdom now. God, we're done. We want to bring the kingdom now. We want to save the world. We want to accomplish peace in our time. We want to reestablish justice by any means necessary. And the irony is, as we say all these things that we want to see, we want to know, we confess in the same breath that, that we're not the Messiah, Jesus is. We just want to help Christ get things done. <laughs> Think about it. The minute you start telling Jesus you're helping him, you got a problem. <laughs> Verse 4. 
Right down in chapter 12, gives us a very, very quick but subtle warning. Notice how Daniel's told, many will go here and there to increase knowledge. This impulse is in all of us. It may have a different flavor, but we all have this tendency to go in a different direction. We all want to increase knowledge. But my friends, inquiring, acquiring knowledge isn't the same thing as understanding. And notice in verse 10, none of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand. When our desires, whatever they are, when our desires, whatever they are, become our direction over and against the Lord's call, the Spirit's leading, we are going to end up lost. Hear me. We're going to end up lost. When the questions we have for God, the answers we demand, eclipse our obedience in the way, the truth, and the life Jesus has set before us, we will never be satisfied. And we will remain continually restless. I guess what I'm trying to say, and just so you know, I'm actually talking to myself right now. You're just listening. <laughs> Running the world and solving all its problems is not our job. Securing and ensuring our dream of the future is not ours to engineer. Unraveling all the mysteries of the Lord's plan of salvation is beyond our ability. God doesn't tell us to go our own way. Sorry, Fleetwood Mac. God doesn't tell us to go our own way. God says, go your way. Be faithful in what I have called you to do. Think of all the times, just to step back so you realize this isn't just isolated to Daniel. Think of all the times in Scripture the Lord commanded his people to go. To go. He commanded Abraham to go from his homeland and by faith to be a blessing to all the nations. He commanded Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let God's people go. He commanded Isaiah to go and speak the truth to an unfaithful people. He commanded Jonah to go to an unbelieving nation in Nineveh. And the Lord tells us, commissions us, you and me, to go, to go to our neighbor to go into the city, to go out to the nations and share the gospel, to represent the grace, to reflect the love, to embody the truth of Jesus Christ. This, in chapter 12, is the way of wisdom. Verse three, this is the way of wisdom. Those who are wise, Daniel sees this picture, shine like the brightness of the heavens, like the stars forever and ever. And what's the way of wisdom as it's described here in verse three? Leading others to righteousness. Bringing others into a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Paul, much, much later on, describes it in the letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, with similar language to that of Daniel. Listen to Paul in chapter 2, to, as he describes the way we are to go. So that you may become, it's us, you may become followers of Jesus, blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. By our words and actions, to know Jesus 
and to make him known. This is wisdom. This is the way we are to go. When you hear that, when God speaks that clearly and gives us our commissioning, our marching orders, we have to step back and ask, are we about the priorities and work of our Father's kingdom? Are we about the priorities and work of our Father's kingdom? Or are we engaged? We've got to have a, a reality check, like I said here. Or are we engaged? Are we invested? Are we committed to something else? Are we engaged? Are we invested? Are we committed for the sake of trying to resolve the unknown? To know what is unknowable to us. Are we engaged? Are we invested? Are we committed in trying to secure our future? To engineer what we want our future to be, which will not bear out. Are we engaged? Are we invested? Are we committed maybe even to trying to save the world? It's not your job. It's not mine to save the world. Jesus has done that. It is your job. It is our calling to live out that salvation, to reflect it, to share it, to spread it as far and wide as we possibly can through our love. Go your way. Go the, on the path that the Lord has set you upon and leave the rest for him to figure out. Now, even assuming that we can get each of us past that, Maybe what stops us is we say, well, where is Jesus calling me? <laughs> Empowering me? Where is the Lord directing me to go? Some of us, that's kind of our stumbling block. It's back to one of those questions that causes us to kind of get stuck. Well, it's all well and good for you, Pastor Chris, because you're a pastor. You know, God kind of laid it out. Here you are. You're doing... Where is God calling me? How's God empowering me? How's God directing me? If you're not sure, and I know most of you are probably not sure, of what or where Jesus is calling you, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't stop and try to figure it out. And maybe many of us here, we've been worrying and that's exactly what we've been doing. We've been stopping and trying to figure it out. Just take a step forward. Just take a step forward. Just engage the opportunities and the relationships Jesus puts before you today. Today. Start with just getting up, and you, you all have done that. Good for you. You got up. <laughs> just start with getting up and following Jesus. And I'm, I'm being very literal here. And following Jesus by authentically sharing life. I mean, not just going through the motions. Authentically, really getting honest and open. Sharing life with others. The people that God has put around you. By following Jesus in radically, radically, Loving and serving the people God has placed right in front of you. You don't have to start anywhere else. The first step is the hardest step, but the first step, the next one will come, and the next one will come. And next thing you know, suddenly, you'll be about what God has called you to do, and sometimes you won't even know it. Sometimes someone will say, you know, you're really gifted at this. I think this is your calling. And you're like, what? I'm just doing what Jesus called me to do. Yeah, and you're good at it. Jesus put it in another way, echoing Daniel here. And you probably, when a midnight star says, you'll remember these words. Jesus said, look, don't worry about tomorrow. Remember when Jesus said that? Don't worry about tomorrow. And I love what Jesus says next, because it's true, right? Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. We can all go amen to that, right? <laughs> don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. What does Jesus say next? Seek 
First, the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness. That's go your way, man. Go the way that God has called you. And then Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness. And what does he say next? And everything else will be added unto you. God will take care of the rest. Daniel closes with a reality check that leads to some specific direction we've just talked about that points, last thing, to a promise that's worth waiting for. Daniel, I love this, is assured he need only focus on the present. He doesn't need to worry about the future because verse 13, last verse in the book, Daniel is assured he doesn't need to, he just can focus on the present. He doesn't need to worry about the future because verse 13, you will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. That imagery of allotted inheritance that's used here is pointing us back to the 12 tribes of Israel rising up out of slavery and death in Egypt and entering into the promised land. Crossing over into new life, into a deeper relationship with God of experiencing the blessings, the provision, and the security of the presence of the Lord. Beloved, the promise worth waiting for as we face reality and go our way in following Jesus, the promise worth waiting for is the rest we experience in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Once again, Jesus echoes this promise shown to Daniel. In fact, he amplifies it in Matthew chapter 11 when he invites us, do you remember it? To come to him and he promises to give us rest. He promises to give us a burden that is easy and a yoke that is light. Jesus promises us rest. Not simply rest for our weary bodies, but rest and relief for our mind and our heart and our souls from the constant nagging of our idols. Jesus invites us to rest, to be relieved of the drive to be perfect. How many of you are driven to be perfect? Jesus invites us. He invites us to rest, to be unbound from the slavery of thinking that God accepts us based upon our performance. And you may sit here and you may have been a Christian for years and yet the chains still bind you. You think this is all about your performance. And Jesus is saying, let me break those chains and rest your mind, your heart, and your soul. Come to me. It's not about what you do. It's about what I've done. Rest is what we are promised, my friends. And the peace and the contentment and the joy that come out of abiding in God, in Christ, this is the inheritance that Daniel anticipates in verse 13. To show you how this is all Together in Scripture, it's not just here. John, in his gospel, records this same promise of our inheritance in Christ, but very differently. John records Jesus saying, do you remember it? In my Father's house, there are many, many rooms, and I go there to what? To prepare a place for you. To prepare a place for you. Beloved, can you? Will you receive this promise today? that you can rest in God's provision, that our Father has allotted a place for you. As you sit here today, what specific beliefs, we gotta get real, we gotta get specific, what specific beliefs, what specific fears, what specific habits prevent you from abiding and living out of the peace of God? What is driving you? What is keeping you so busy? 
Why do you believe that you'll rest when you're dead? I want us to notice something here, interesting here in the last chapter of Daniel. I didn't mention it before because I've been saving it until now. Look at verse 2. You're looking at it for a second. Do you see it? What is said in verse 2? It's quite shocking. Everyone wakes up. Everyone wakes up. All are resurrected. But if you keep reading, what is quite interesting and slightly disturbing is not everyone is going to wake up the same way. Some are going to wake up. Daniel sees a picture and find their rest has only just begun. They will awaken, Daniel is told, to everlasting life, to this picture that we've just been melding in, this eternal, perfect relationship of love, peace, and joy with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Others, however, are not going to appreciate having their sleep interrupted and being woken up. Some will wake up, not peacefully, but as Daniel describes it, they will wake up with shame and contempt. Shame and contempt. Why? Because here it is. Fundamentally, fundamentally, resting in God is all about control. When we refuse to embrace the reality that God puts before us, when we insist on going our own way, rather than following the direction God gives us, we are trying to control our lives. And we are left with stress, anxiety, and fear. We cannot rest. If you know what I'm talking about, you get this. When you're trying to control your life, you cannot rest because you're living as though everything is up to you. You cannot rest. You will not rest. You do not rest because you're trying to control what is out of your control. When we have lived our life this way, not submitted to God, when we've lived our life struggling to do it all on our own, tired man, hurting, ultimately dying in the midst of all of our effort, what do we have to show for ourselves when we wake up? Nothing. Nothing. Because we are unable to take anything we've accumulated with us. You know that, right? You're some nodding your heads, but I mean, are you living that way? You know that, right? In the same manner, what are we able to receive from Jesus when Jesus wakes us up at the end of time? Nothing. Because we have only shame and contempt over what we've lost rather than openness or surrender for what we can gain. Resting in God is all about control. And if, if you, you don't understand that, then you're living on that side of frustration. You're living on that side of anxiety and fear. You're going to wake up at the end of time with bedhead. In this last picture, Daniel is given, and I would rather paint this picture differently, but I'm calling it exactly as it's here. In this last picture Daniel is given, you need to see this. We need to embrace it. We need to chew on it. Everyone is resurrected, but not everyone is resting. Everyone is resurrected, but not everyone is resting. Contrary to popular wisdom, and I echoed it a moment ago, you cannot rest when you're dead. We need to live out of the promise of God's rest now. And Daniel, as we 
close our time with him is a great example of this. Has Daniel not been a great example of what we're just talking about, of resting in God's control of this world? As we think about where we've been with Daniel, think about it. Just take inventory one more time. Daniel couldn't control where he lived, right? The story starts out where Daniel doesn't have a say as he gets carried off to exile in Babylon. Daniel can't control where he lives. Daniel can't control what kings he serves. Daniel doesn't get to vote. No electoral college in Babylon, right? Daniel doesn't get to have control over the kings that he serves. Daniel couldn't control, as we've seen through the story, of the dangers that he would face. When we get into chapter 7, Daniel can't even control the visions that he sees. He can't even control what he gets to see. And the one thing that's not mentioned, but I wonder if you picked up on as we've gone through this book, and for me this is the most powerful part, Daniel couldn't even control going back to Israel. You remember a couple weeks ago when I told you that that all of a sudden the gates were open and everyone could return. Do you notice that Daniel never goes back? Daniel can't go back. We don't know why. Daniel can't go back to Israel. He doesn't even have control over that. He lives his whole life in exile, people. And yet, what we see in the midst of all of this that's undeniable, we see this continual picture of Daniel resting, abiding in the Lord in the present, in each moment as it comes. How does he do this? Why does he do this? Because Daniel believed, Daniel knew God would eventually bring him home in the future. Where are the specific aspects of your life right now, today, where Christ is nudging you, empowering you to give up trying to control everything and to rest in your father's control of this world and of your life. It's not a coincidence that just a couple of days from now, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a great occasion for not only counting our blessings and giving thanks, which I hope that we'll all do, count our blessings and give thanks, but Thanksgiving is also a great occasion for us all to stop and realize how little control we have how little control we need, how much we can rest in our Father's providence and provision for this world and for our lives. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And so the book of Daniel concludes. It concludes, for me, as it began, with the appeal to be faithful to what the Lord has called us to and the assurance that we can leave everything else to God. The only future life worth living, my friends, is the one authored by God. We can focus ourselves on the present and let the Lord take care of the future because he assures us he will, because he already has in Jesus Christ. In the trajectory from here to eternity, our faith cannot depend on deliverance from suffering within a set time frame. No, our faith rests on the promise of God that it will end that one day he will set all things right, that when that day comes, he has allotted a place for us, that the end of this world is in fact the beginning of a new heavens and a new earth and of our rest in his eternal peace. This is our deliverance. This is our inheritance. This is the gospel according to Daniel. Thanks be to God.